Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false? He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generations of those who seek him, who seek your face, O Lord of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. So far the reading. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Uh, please keep your Bibles handy. Uh, we're going to be working our way through that verse, uh, picking apart what it's teaching us, and so you'll be well served if you can follow along uh, as we do that. Um, I'm not sure how they do it now, but when I was at school um, in grade 10, end of grade 10, uh, you had your leavers dinner. Uh, I don't know if it still is, but for, then, for me, for then, uh, it was a big deal. Um, there was lots of fast, lots of preparation, uh, so many things to, to think about. You had to go and, and get or, or hire your suit, you had to think about your colour scheme, you had to think about hair and flowers, you had to organise a car to arrive in, a partner hopefully to come along with. There was just so much to do. It was, it was this massive big thing. And once you finally had all that arrived, then, uh, all that organised, then the, the, the night arrived and you, you turn up at the venue and you, you kind of drive in slowly in this big procession. For some reason there was a crowd of people who wanted to come and watch this. I, I don't know why you would do that. But you drove in and everyone was cheering and everyone was you know, looking and, and, and talking and all, all these things. And you're the centre of attention at this huge celebration. Now, it makes you feel a bit embarrassed. It's kind of weird uh, to experience that. But it's kind of cool as well, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's kind of fun to be a part of that. It's, it's exciting to be at the centre of such a huge celebration to have so much fuss made over you. It's really nice. Well, you might have picked it up as Anne-Marie read it, but Psalm 24 describes a, a similar kind of procession, a similar kind of parade, but one that is far bigger and far grander and far more glorious because as we see here, it's the procession of God himself going up. Uh, the holy city is always on a, on a hill, on a mountain, going up to his holy city and not only to his holy city but to his dwelling place, to the temple. And he goes up in this great parade as the almighty and conquering king, the one who's overcome. It's, it's an incredible thing to observe. It's an incredible thing to have described to us but as I said with the kids, we're, we're, this psalm is here for us not just to be observers, not just to watch what's going on. This psalm is here 
as an invitation. It says, look what's happening. And guess what? You get to be in it. You can have a place in this, a part in all this excitement and glory and grandeur. Um, the psalm itself is kind of, it not only describes uh, a procession or a parade, but it itself is, is kind of a procession. Um, in the verse, uh, it happens in three parts. Verses 1 and 2 start in the world, describing God as the king of creation. In verses 3 and 6, we get a little closer. We see God uh, coming closer as the king of salvation. And then finally, in the last act of this procession, in verses 7 through 10, we, see we reach the gates in this grand march and we see God as the king of victory. And, and that's how we're going to be opening up these verses this morning. God is the king and the psalm explains for us how this king, the king of glory, the king uh, of victory, can be your king. And it explains to us how you can find a place in his parade. That's what we're going to see as we open up these verses this morning. So let's jump in. Uh, The opening, the introduction to this psalm is really quite simple. Um, But for that, it is also very profound. Um, If you've got a Bible handy, look with me at verses 1 to 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. Uh, God is the king. The whole psalm declares that to us. And the opening tells us he is the creator king. Uh, What did God create? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? He created absolutely everything. Not only the earth, but everything that fills it. Not only everything that fills it, but everyone who lives in it as well. Um, the, The psalmist is using his words very deliberately here. He's going all the way back to Genesis 1 and kind of paralleling the creation account that you find there. Uh, waters and then land and then everything that fills the earth. He's, he's saying God is the creator. It's all his. Nothing in existence, nothing that you see is not his. It is his creation and consequently then it's also his possession. Uh, you might have heard of the theologian uh, and Dutch Prime Minister from a bit over a hundred years ago, Abraham Kuyper, Uh, One of his most famous quotes is this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. It's all God's. But we need to stop and ask, Why is he king? Why is he king? Well, the psalm's answer is simple, isn't it? God is king because he made it all. He's king over the earth because he made everything in the earth. He made everything. Uh, Like Bill Gates ruled Apple, like Elon Musk rules Tesla and and SpaceX and every other company that he owns. Uh, If you make something, if you invent it, if you establish it, it's yours. Uh, I guess it's true for you as well. If you happen to invent something, if you make something or start something, it's yours. you're, You're over it. And Psalm 24 is saying, God made everything, therefore he is over everything. There is nothing in existence he didn't make and as creator of all things, he claims rightful rule over all things. Not just the basic elements of the world, uh, but even the people of the world, even the works of the people of the world, even human innovation and invention is his. Because not only did he make us, 
but he gives us energy and ideas and creativity and everything we need. Everything in existence is under God's rule because everything in existence depends on him for its existence. God is king over all creation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Uh, It tells us our place in the world, doesn't it? It tells us that this earth, the the world we see around us, uh, is not simply ours to possess and, and do with as we please. We're reminded it's God's. Now he's very generous in his kingship because he gives it to us. Uh, He loans it to us though. Uh, We're tenants in his world. It tells us though how generous he's been, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, just for a mental exercise, imagine the kind of world that God could have created. Uh, He might have created a a black and white shades of grey world. He might have created a bare necessities world, but he hasn't, hasn't he? I mean, look at the world he's created. Look at the world he's given us. It's one filled with beauty. It's one filled with joy, with all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, his creation is not bland. It's, it's glorious. And inherent in, the, in that is a calling to, to respond, isn't it? God is king. He's created a beautiful world. He's set us in this world to work it, to live as his people in this world and to reflect his purposes in this world. He's uh, equipped us to do this. He's given us gifts to achieve this, to uh, see it happen and to make the most out of this world. We're called to do so in ways that are beautiful, in ways that are good, and in ways that seek his purposes. Um, no, no person has a... We're all uh, able to do this equally, regardless of whether we work, regardless of whether we stay at home, regardless of whether we're retired. Uh, whatever our role is, whatever our place is, our calling in those roles, in those places, is the same. To serve God, to work in this world, to his ends. Because not only is this world not ours, but neither are we ourselves ours. We are his created by him, created for him, for his purpose and put in this world as his. Not to find our own ways, not to seek our own desires or our own advantage but to seek for him. Uh, You are not sent into this world on a mission to discover yourself uh, or to discover your role or to discover your place or your worth. You don't have to find those things out because all of them are contained here in this explanation, this introduction to this psalm. You're created, you're ruled, you're under the king, you're God's. And in him you find everything you need to know about yourself and about your place in the world that he's given us. This world is the Lord's and everything in it for he founded it, he created it. And he created us in it to be for him and under him. And that's good. That's wonderful. But clearly there's an issue, isn't there? Clearly things have gone wrong. Uh, There's a dissonance at play here. The world is broken. People are broken. People are not living uh, for God as intended. So the question is then, what to do about that? Created people, a creator king. How do people get to know that king? How do people get close to that king? 
And that's exactly where the psalmist uh, turns his attention to next. Uh, Look at your Bible, have a look at verse 3. We've seen God as the king, we've seen he rules. The question is then in verse 3, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? That is, who can come close to God? Who can be in his presence? Um, it's, it's a good thing to be near powerful people, isn't it? There's, there's advantages to being near powerful people. Uh, and the psalmist says, that's why we want to need, be near God. Not only is he the king, not only is he our creator, but as we read on, he's also the one from whom blessing and, and vindication, that is uh, righteousness, comes from. We really want to be near this king because he's good and because he's good for us. So, what's the answer to the question of verse 3? Who can go near this king? Who can stand before him? Well, it's there in verse 4, isn't it? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Who can be close to God? Who can be near the king? Well, it's the one with clean hands, not just having no dirt on their hands, but hands that are innocent, hands that are free of charge, hands that are guiltless. Uh, It's the one with a pure heart. Um, Not only a good heart, but a heart in which there is no wrong, a heart that is empty of evil and free from moral guilt. Who can go near God? Well, it's the one who doesn't trust in idols or swear falsely. It's the one who trusts only in God, exclusively. The one who hopes in nothing but God and depends on nothing but God. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may come close to God? Only those who are perfect. Only those who are utterly and completely blameless. Not just in deeds, not just from an outward appearance, but inside as well. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may come close to God? Not you or I. Who would claim that? We're not qualified. We don't deserve it. We don't have a place. Uh, If you one day ever have the chance of meeting the Queen, um, you should know that you cannot just go to the Queen. Um, There's certain rules. Apparently there's 13 rules. I don't know them all. Um, I'm not going to meet the Queen. I don't need to know them all. But if you do, there's 13 rules you need to follow uh, about how you can go to the Queen. You you can't just dress as you like. You can't just do what you like. You need to follow the rules. And the psalm here is saying, likewise, you can't just bowl up to God. Uh, You can't just meet him just as you like. You can't just go before him uh, as you are because he is not like you. He is God. He is the King. He is holy and he is perfect. And even were you to dress up in your best, you still don't meet the standard. No one can enter the holy place. No one can enter his presence because no one has clean hearts. No one has clean hands. No one trusts in him alone. And so it seems the verdict of the psalm is harsh, isn't it? Everyone is doomed to to stay forever away from God's presence, away from all the good things that come with him that no one could ever draw near. Now it's true, you can't go as you please to the Queen, but if the Queen comes to you, that's a different story. 
And that's the hope here. That's the hope in this psalm. Because not only are we told that God is the king, not only are we told that no one can come before God, but we can told that God can come to you. Look at verse 5 and 6. He will receive, that is those who get before God, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Uh, Who receives this blessing, who receives this vindication that is uh, being cleared of blame, being proved right? Uh, Well, it's it's those who know God as Saviour. Who are they? Well, we're told it's those who seek him. That is, those who look to him, those who put their trust in him. How does that help? Well, it helps because we know the story beyond this passage, doesn't it? We've read ahead, we've seen what happened, we've heard it already. We've heard that God the King did something that's very unkingly in order to become our Saviour. We've heard that God came down from his holy place, that he left this glory described here, that he came to earth and that he came near to us and that he came as a man. Not just any man. We've heard that he came as a perfect man. One who lived perfectly under God's authority. One that, who lived perfectly toward God and his creation and fellow man. One who did everything that we were supposed to do but had failed in. One who, even though he was perfect, even though he was the king, went to the cross and was crucified and punished. His hands were clean. His heart was pure. He had never trusted in an idol or in a false god, but in God alone. And yet he died for us whose hands were dirty, whose hearts were corrupt, who have trusted everything but God. And in that moment, on that place, at the cross, our wrongs were placed on him and his rights, his perfection was placed on us, on all those who believe and who trust. And in this he became not only our king, but as the psalm describes, our saviour as well. Because not only has he covered our debts and covered our failings, but he has credited his perfection to us. So when God looks uh, at those who trust in Jesus, when he looks at those who love Jesus, he doesn't see their misdeeds and their failings any longer. Instead, what he sees now is their clean hands and pure heart uh, and great trust, not of us, but of Jesus because he's put that on us. And the result is, we can stand before him. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? It's he who has Jesus' clean hands, Jesus' pure heart, Jesus' faithfulness and truthfulness. It's those who trust in him. They can stand before God. They can enter the most holy place. They can receive blessing and vindication from God. If you want to stand before God, seek him as your saviour. No person who doesn't seek him will ever stand before him and no person who does seek him will ever be turned back. Seek God and his salvation and you will stand before him and you will receive blessing 
and vindication from him yourself. For he is the king. And as we see next, he is the king who has won. Uh, we, we see this procession continue. We've, we've seen it in the world. We've seen it draw near. And now uh, the procession, this great parade of God, arrives at the holy city. Look uh, with me at verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Uh, The procession's arrived and now the king of battle, the king of victory stands uh, at the gates and the procession demands entrance into the city. Uh, Lift up your heads, O you gates, let us in. Uh, The response comes, well, who is this king? Who who deserves to come in? Uh, And the procession responds. It it reads to us a little bit awkwardly. I don't know if you find that awkward to read. It seems a little strange. But apparently this used to happen. uh, And even not that that long ago. Um, I read the other day, uh, when the king of England would go out and fight a battle for the nation... Uh, He would obviously go out and, and assuming he won, he would come back to his capital, to London, and uh, the gate would be closed. And his herald would cry out, open the gate! And the gate would respond. It's kind of a ritual. They knew who it was, obviously, but this was the ritual they followed. Well, who's there? And the herald would reply, it's the King of England, the victorious King of England. Open the gate! And so the, the gate would be opened and everyone would go in. It would be a celebration. That was the ritual they followed. And it's kind of what's described here, isn't it? The king and his possession, returning from battle, returning victorious, stand at the gate, let us in. So we can celebrate the fruits of victory. So we can celebrate that we've won. But here's the question, when did this happen? Has it happened? Is this past, is it yet to come? What's being described here? Uh, it seems to me there's a few candidates. Maybe it was when King David won a great victory. Uh, we, we read in 2 Samuel 6 of him entering the city in great procession, in, in great celebration. But it seems like more than that, doesn't it? This, this seems really special. Well, maybe, maybe uh, this is describing something in the future here but past for us. Maybe it's describing Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In Matthew, uh, we read of it in Matthew 21. You know, he, he rides in on the donkey. Everyone's putting the palm branches before him. It's great celebration. But it doesn't quite fit either, doesn't it? Uh, because even though that's a kingly entry, he hasn't yet won a victory. And a few days later, he's actually put on a cross. It doesn't seem right, does it? Well, maybe, could it be something that's yet to come? Are we reading the description of the end of time, of Jesus coming uh, on the clouds of heaven? Is is that what's being described here? Well, again, the, the, the details don't quite match up, do they? Now, actually, what Psalm 24 is celebrating is something that has already happened. Something that is truly glorious, that is wonderful, that fulfills this and so much more. What Psalm 24 is describing for us is Jesus' ascension into heaven. 
Uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul picks up on this language and he celebrates he who ascended on high, leading a great procession. Because there Jesus went as conquering king. There he went as his victory proclaimed. There he went with all his work done, ascending into heaven, passing through its gates to great praise, to great glory for all time. See, what we're reading here has already taken place. Jesus' victory has already been proclaimed. He is the King of glory. He's already entered into his holy city. His kingdom was declared, uh, was won on the cross and in his resurrection where for once he defeated the powers of sin and death and his victory was then affirmed in his ascension where he was crowned as king and where then he sat down to rule over all things. It's a bit like what happens at the Olympics, isn't it? You know, uh, the 100 metres is run, Usain Bolt, well, whoever it is nowadays, he wins, uh, he wins the race, he's victorious, he's king of the track, everyone sees it, everyone knows it. But really, it's not until the medal ceremony, is it, that he's kind of declared as the victor, that everyone sees him and celebrates him as a victor. And so it is here. On the cross, at his resurrection, Jesus was victorious. All could see and know that. But it's then at his ascension, when he enters into heaven, when he is seated there as king, that he is declared, that he is shown in all glory as a victor. I mean, can you imagine this scene when Jesus marches in at the head of the glorious procession to claim his victory? Uh, God's own son, the victorious king, uh, approaches the gate and is admitted in amidst celebration, amidst glory and wonder. And he goes to the holy place and he stands before God and he says, my work is done, the, the, the victory is complete, it is finished and your kingdom is established. And he takes his rightful place, seated as the ruler of all. He is one. He is the king. And that's the hope of his people here. Jesus has won. He rules even today in all glory, in all power. And his people who are saved in him will share, do share the victory in him. Because not only is his righteousness ours, but his victory, his triumph, his glory is too. <laughs> it feels like a strange thought. I mean, you guys look great but not glorious, let me be honest. No offence. Uh, and if you look at the world, uh, you'd be pretty generous to say that the church looks victorious. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty, victorious, uh, pretty generous indeed. And let's be honest, as people, do we win that much? Do you feel like you win in, in, your, in your life very often? I think if we're honest, we feel like we're failing often, don't we? and weak, and struggling. It, doesn't, it feels like there's a disconnect, isn't there? But, but that's what the psalm is showing us. It's, it's pulling back the curtain. It's giving us a peek into what the spiritual realities are. It's saying, yes, things are still hard here, but look and remember what's happened, what Jesus has done. Remember, you have a victorious king who's won. Remember, in him you're a victorious people. And all that's waiting is for what is spiritually true to be revealed and to be seen. It's not described for us to be arrogant. 
but it is described for us to be confident, to even be bold, confident in in the church, in God's people, because we're promised here, in Jesus we've won. We'll never be overcome, instead we'll endure, we'll prevail, we'll even win. And so serve, gladly, boldly, even expectantly, because we serve the victorious King. It tells us to be confident in ourselves. We'll not be overcome, but we will overcome because the power of the risen and reigning Lord is in us. Don't be downhearted, but endure. It tells us to be confident in the world because Jesus has won, his victory is assured and he will return and he will restore. The King will come and make things right. So don't just observe the praise given here. Don't just observe the celebration, but join in. (laughs) Proclaim the king. Celebrate the king. Proclaim his victory and call the world to trust him and join in his procession into eternity. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, you indeed are the king of all. As creator, you rule. As victor who has defeated his enemies, you rule. There are none who compare to you. There are none who can challenge your power. You are over all. Father, we praise you that not only are you the king who rules, but you are the king who saves. Even rebels like us, you rescue and forgive and restore. Father, we praise you for your incredible grace. We give you thanks that not only can we share in Jesus' righteousness and so confidently stand before you, but we can share in his victory and know that our place in glory is assured in him. Father, help us now to look to that day, to be glad, to be confident in he who has won for us, in our victorious and glorious King. In his name we pray. Amen.